0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the U-Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. And I created the U-Turn book and the podcast as a place to help you connect to who you truly are at your core, and that's why every single week, I want to bring a guest on with the intention of helping you expand what's possible for you, both in your confidence, whether it's in work or love, and just in life in general. So let's get into this week's episode. Friends, we have an episode that I think is overdue. You know how much I love to cover psychology. And one topic we haven't really gone into lately, we've talked about it before, but it's been a minute, is narcissism. I wanted to bring Wendy Bahari on to the show. She's got 30 years postgraduate training. She's got advanced certifications and she's the founder and director of the Cognitive Therapy Center of New Jersey and the Schema Therapy Institutes in um, New Jersey and New York City and DC. So her private practice is very focused on treating narcissists, partners or peoples that are dealing with them, couples experiencing relationship challenges. Um, she's also an expert in coaching people and interviewing, public speaking, um, which is something I've been doing, which is super fun, helping people yeah. Yeah. with speaking, telling their story. And she's the author of the book, Disarming the Narcissist. And today um, she was just named by Oprah Daily as one of the top books on this subject. So I'm very excited to be in her company for you with some questions around how to identify a narcissist. Um, and and just navigating them because it might not be your romantic partner, it might be a parent or a friend. Um, and I think that the lights really go on for people who don't even realize they're dealing with someone who is officially a narcissist. I also noticed that that word is used very freely and sometimes it's not accurate. So without further ado, I'm way too caffeinated today. Um, thanks for being here, Wendy. Thanks for having me,
1: Ashley. It's a, It's really a pleasure to be with you.
0: Yeah, you too. And and I know that you have been, you know, obviously doing this work for decades. So I would love to hear a little bit about what drew you in. I imagine you had an experience with a narcissist of sorts. Um, yeah, it always makes my heart hurt to think about them because as much as we don't want to be around them and be hurt by them, they're usually hurting more than everyone. And that's why they are the way they are. But feel free to um, just tell us a little bit about what got you here.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really great insight on your part. They are incredibly impaired people with a lot of hurt underneath all that bluster. Uh, It was a long time ago, you know, early part of my career. And as I, I write about this in my book, it was noticing that I mean, I'm not shy. I'm not an inhibited person. I was new and, you know, still kind of learning, evolving in my professional self. But I was finding myself incredibly triggered when I was in the company of someone like this, not even really fully understanding what this was, but recognizing that I was suddenly shrinking into this kind of old familiar way of coping, which is giving in, surrendering, apologizing, feeling guilty, avoiding, ignoring, neglecting, indulging, and that's not helpful and And, realizing that this was kind of fascinating, both what I was faced with, which was pretty tough, the narcissistic client themselves, but also what was happening inside of me. And that began a journey with my mentor and colleagues and the team I was working with to begin to think about adaptations and modifications for our therapy model to work with narcissistic clients. And that's where it started. And from there, it was really a very rewarding experience of going through a process of beginning to first of all take care of me you know and teach other therapists how to do so which is how I spend a lot of my time but also you know in in preparation for working with this really challenging population because you can't treat them when you're not sturdy uh, it's hard enough to treat someone with narcissistic issues because they're not the best client in the room and they don't often come in Willingly, they often come in involuntarily because someone has kind of threatened them to get help or else. So it's tough enough there. You need an effective approach, you need a sturdy therapist. And that's where it started for me. I
0: know one of the qualities of narcissists is that they, it's like a, I don't know if a symptom is the right word, that they don't want to admit that they're a narcissist. So how do you help someone that doesn't want to get help? Or would they not be considered a narcissist if they want help on the matter?
1: It's a rare but not unthinkable occasion. It happens where, you know, there are some types. I mean, we have to think about narcissism as something that isn't just a one-size-fits-all. There is narcissistic personality disorder, which is sort of proper clinical term. We often think of that as a very grandiose, you know, the classic entitled, look at me, you know, arrogant type. Um, But along the spectrum, there are variations, there are levels of intensity, there are numbers of traits that one may possess. So you can have a bit of a narcissistic style, and not necessarily have a full blown narcissistic personality disorder. There are some who will walk in because they're feeling panicked and they're feeling on the edge of their seat. They've lost a job. They're having a health condition. They're looking for help. Most people with issues of narcissism want a pretty quick fix. They're not really sitting down to spend a lot of time with you, but most come in reluctantly begrudgingly and they do it because they don't want to face whatever consequences have been put in front of them as an ultimatum. So Oh, happy day, as I like to say, you know, you're dealing with this person that doesn't want to be there and can become very cynical of you, critical or super charming and um, kind of tell you what you need to hear, be a good storyteller, be very distracting and interesting in many cases, uh, but doesn't really want to dive deep into the dark waters of emotions
0: you know, when I think
1: about narcissists,
0: like we were saying earlier, it's like, I feel like that term is used very lightly and people are kind of called narcissists quite easily. So I thought it would be interesting to actually take a look at like, what are the identifiers? Like, I know you have, you know, 13 traits and usually if somebody has 10 of them, it's pretty official. And then again, not everyone is a therapist that can diagnose someone and we have to be mindful of that. So My friend, are you ready to stay hydrated this summer? I have something for you. Grapefruit salt from Element. It's LMNT because healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water and electrolytes. It makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat and both of those need to be replaced to prevent muscle cramps, headaches, energy dips throughout the day. But most people only replace the water. So why is that? Well, since the 1940s, we've been told to drink eight glasses of water per day, thirsty or not. But drinking beyond your thirst is a bad idea. It actually dilutes your blood electrolyte levels, especially sodium, which leads to headaches, low energy, cramps, confusion, or worse. So this low sodium situation called hyponatremia is super common among endurance athletes, And the solution is not to stop drinking water either. It's to drink water with electrolytes. That is where LMNT, my favorite brand for electrolytes, has you covered. So former research biochemist Rob Wolf and Keto Gains co-founder Louis Villasenor formulated Element to provide the optimal ratios of sodium, potassium, and magnesium for health, performance, and energy. They also formulated Element to please your palate. It tastes so good. Try orange salt, citrus salt, watermelon salt, or you can experiment with five other flavors like this summer's grapefruit. I even like to put Element's chocolate flavor into my coffee in the morning sometimes. So Element just gave us a really fun offer. All you have to go do is head on over to drinkelement.com slash Stall. that's D-R-I-N-K lmnt.com slash slash A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L to receive a free sample pack of every flavor with your first purchase. My personal favorite is the watermelon and the lime. Again, that's drinkelement.com slash Ashley Stahl. Your salty little summer starts now. what are those 13 traits that we could go through for everybody here as a note taker? Like this is what I've learned about the U-turn listeners, which I love them so much. Um, So yeah, just kind of walking us through those so that we can, I don't know, start to reflect.
1: Yeah. And you said something that's really important as we talk about traits of narcissism and there are probably more than the ones I've listed in the book. And there's variations on the ones I've listed in the book, but You know, we don't want to ever jump to conclusions. It is all over the Internet. You are so right. Everyone's a narcissist now. Everyone. I mean, if you just talk about yourself for two minutes longer, you're a narcissist. If you suddenly forget someone's, you know, holiday, anniversary, birthday, you're a narcissist. Um, There's also the mythology. And I will say mythology because it's unfortunately what makes a lot of people very popular in this field of narcissism. Is they're out there calling the narcissist a demon, mm. a devil, the Satan. You know, they are they are devils, you must run. They are horribly toxic, poisonous people. And they do some pretty harmful things. There's no doubt about it. They can be very dangerous at times, they can be volatile, they can be abusive. They're not all abusive in that violent way. They're not all you know, um, they don't all escalate to that level of volatility. So we want to be careful not to make assumptions. They're not demons. These are highly impaired people that can do a lot of harm in their relationships with others, including their children.
2: Hmm. Um,
1: And in some cases, it is unsafe and safety is a priority. So the only choice is to really remove yourself and to get to safety. That's number one. But I work with a lot of people who have chosen to stay in these relationships And conduct the grand experiment to see if it's possible to get some kind of sustainable, meaningful change. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. So what are the traits? You have someone who is not, it's not that they cannot be empathic. It's that they are not good at empathy and therefore they don't deliver empathy very easily. They are so preoccupied with how they are showing up. They are so preoccupied with their own self-protective You know, measures that they're not paying attention to the impact of their behavior on you or what's happening in your internal world. Hmm. They can be incredibly arrogant. They can be, they're very self absorbed. So, for starters, you have someone who is highly self absorbed who demonstrates this type of entitlement. You know, the rules don't apply to me. I make the rules, I break the rules. I'm entitled to special privileges. I'm not an ordinary citizen. So, you have the entitlement. Uh, aspect of that they can be controlling and domineering you know my way Mm -hmm. Um, they'll accuse you of being controlling particularly when you're not in agreement with them because you know it's okay if everything you're bubbly and happy and you're agreeing with them and you're nodding and you're applauding and you're adoring them but the minute you have your own point of view or you step aside and Express an opinion or a wish or a longing or a disappointment, God forbid, then you can end up in the throes of their devaluing critical behaviors. So, you know, they're also charming. They can be very charming and they can appear, as many of my clients will describe those who are on the offended side of the equation, um, they can appear to be heroic, even. Like, God, you know, he was so charming and heroic when I met him, he would do anything for me. And then we look at it carefully and we deconstruct it and find out that it was eh, kind of at his convenience, not necessarily yours, mm-hmm. it something that he could do. So, you know, the superheroism is also about, you know, getting that kind of recognition and status and winning the prize, because, you know, at the end of the day, they are all about winning the prize. They are all about the self-righteousness. Also, I think one of the things on the list or one of the things that we could add to the list. So it's all about who's the winner, who's the loser, who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad. It's a very binary way of operating. And there's reasons for that, but that's what you're up against. And I think most of your listeners who are thinking about the people in their lives who are narcissists would be thinking, how do I know when I'm really in the throes of someone beyond these traits, which may or may not be so obvious right up front? And it's that feeling that you get in your gut and that feeling you have of suddenly being erased, suddenly being invisible, like not being seen at all, only for what you can bring to the table in the way of agreement, recognition, status, adulation.
2: hmm
0: you know, I, I guess kind of for the note takers, it's like I heard you say no empathy, kind of wanting to be the hero of the story. I also heard you mention charm. Would charm be yes, considered a trait?
2: Absolutely.
0: Are, um, I'm just kind of listing these out. Empathy, hero of the story, charm. What were a few other ones that I just want to make sure I put a point in them for people
1: to write down? Entitled. That's entitled. a big one. That's really a, a hallmark trait of narcissism is just this ever abiding sense of being entitled. Mm. There's arrogance there's control there's um in many cases although i don't think this is on my list but it comes up so often there's this sense of this kind of proprietary behavior with the partners like i own you Mm -hmm. um and jealousies but they can also be equally dismissive Mm -hmm. devaluing defensive critical Mm -hmm. right demeaning so you know there's a lot of D words attached to it. I call it the denial, the devaluing, the dismissive, the defensive. It's all of those that also show up when they are discovered in acts of betrayal, mm. in acts of lying. Mm.
0: This also brings us a bit into gaslighting, right? And people ask me, what is gaslighting? And I've said before on this show, it kind of feels like, you know, your sweater's red and somebody tells you it's blue. And then Mm -hmm. you start to wonder if you have, if you're colorblind or you're missing something. That's Mm -hmm. gaslighting. It's like you, you have one truth. They have another. You feel so clear about your truth. And then suddenly you're questioning yourself so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how this might look for someone? Um, I did a narcissist six, seven, eight years ago after i called off my wedding to a really good guy mm. i was looking for 5 years and i was just kind of vulnerable like new to dating and he was super charming entrepreneur um came from a really rough upbringing on the east coast and he really struggled to empathize um i was just so enamored by his mm-hmm. um charm and his success that i just let myself be around him um but he also you talk about something in your work that i thought was super interesting which was around um like sexuality um you know like being hypersexual and there's all these different ways that narcissists can show up like shame infidelity betrayal um, he had this thing where he would compare me to other people saying that they were sexually better for this reason or that better. It always made me feel like so demeaned, like I wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And I was—I remember losing like 10 or 12 pounds in a relationship with him. And my mm-hmm. feeling was like, you look so skinny, like you're so gaunt. And he would make comments like, oh, you know, I'm more attracted to you now. And so he was really, and I'm I'm a pretty lean person. So it was really abusive relationship. I'm so proud of myself for getting out because I know how hard it is for people to get out. I work in psychology and it took me seven months to get out. And I know that mm. so many people fall prey to the charm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm just curious to understand, like, how can someone identify gaslighting? Because you want to be receptive, especially romantically, if your partner says, Hey, I don't see it that way. You want to hear what they're saying, but then you also want to know when you're being gaslit and it's, you know, dysfunctional.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a pattern. So I think the number one thing is you notice a pattern. It's, you know, anyone can have a blip every now and then there's a blip. No, you didn't say that. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. (laughs) Right. You know, you told, you told me it was blue. No, I said it was red. Right. So there can be a blip in memory. There can be a blip in on occasion, but when you see a pattern where you feel like you are constantly being put in a position to doubt yourself, to wonder, have I lost my mind? Am I crazy? Did I not say that? Was I not showing up? Maybe it was me. Maybe I was the one who provoked that, you know, then, you know, your reality has been twisted and that's what gaslighting is. It's a very trendy term for the reality being distorted. Yeah. And you think, well, why would someone do that if they're not a monster? And the answer is, you know, there certainly are psychopaths, you know, people who are more geared to, I mean, they have narcissistic traits too, but they are more geared to taking a lot of pleasure out of causing pain. That's not the narcissist. The narcissist doesn't get pleasure out of causing pain. They get pleasure out of winning and whatever it takes to win, no matter what the cost. And so that means if they have to subjugate you, get you to doubt yourself, well, first of all, they get a better grip on you by doing that. Second of all, they get you to do what they want. And third of all, they get to be the winner. So it's not the pleasure isn't in hurting you. The pleasure is in winning and being right and being in control, being in command. And that doesn't make it okay or any better than any other reason or motivation. It's just it's a different motivational track or a different trajectory, if you will. And that's when you know it's gasoline. It's like, gosh, this is the pattern. It's like nothing I say is ever remembered correctly. I feel like, am I losing my mind or is this some kind of a game that's being played? And, you know, it could have been like two minutes. I see it all the time in session. I can say something or they'll say something and I'll repeat it. And they look right at me and say, I never said that.
0: Mm. I didn't
1: say that. Mm. Yeah, you just did. (laughs) Mm. No, I didn't. Mm. Right. Wow. Wow. It's fascinating. um, And and you mentioned something else, if I can just add on to that, Ashley, because you said something very important about your own story, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate you sharing. It's, you know, there's this other trendy phrase that's being used now called trauma bonding. And, you know, with narcissism, what you described where when you get caught up in that cycle of my reality, you know, I can't count on my own reality. I can't count on my own voice, Mm -hmm. my own assumptions my own assertions about things and you start feeling like you have to do what you can to meet the needs of the narcissist. You start basically subjugating yourself, like you lost the weight Mm -hmm. and felt that was going to be the key to averting this hypersexual tendency, which is his problem. That's his issue. Mm -hmm. But so many partners will get caught up in that, you know, feeling of if I just shut my mouth more, if I just agreed more, if I just lost the weight, if I just wore more makeup, if I were just sexier, if I would just do more interesting sexual things, then, you know, we'd have a better connection. He would be happier. He'd be less angry. He'd be more faithful to me, et cetera.
0: It's pretty uh, powerful what you talked about, the trauma bond. Can you help everyone who's listening get a sense of, like, are you just in a challenging, challenging relationship Or are you in a trauma bond? I know that that's kind of a trendy term and I think it's very clever. Usually I don't like the trendy terms like quiet, quitting and quiet. I think they're really annoying, but I think that this is a really interesting one. Um, I also, nothing's black or white, right? So I hear that there's a lot of like, you know, if you feel chemistry instantly, maybe it's your trauma. And sometimes you just have instant chemistry. It's a really cool vibe. Um, So can you talk to me a little bit about what are some misunderstandings? What does it maybe look like? Um, For anyone who maybe is like listening, thinking, "Damn, I have a really hard relationship. Is it just hard, or am I with someone who potentially has a personality disorder, which is a totally different bag of chips?"
1: Yeah, and and a lot of this is an important question because trauma is a big word, and Mm -hmm. it also gets tossed around a lot. Uh, Trauma is a big word, and it and it applies to these extraordinary experiences that the brain will. Consolidate, meaning it will capture it because it's powerful, but it can't synthesize it or make sense out of it very easily. And right. so sometimes the best way to get a calm is just to give in. Yeah. You know, when you're a child growing up in a home that is toxic and abusive and dangerous or neglectful, a child has no power, you know. So they basically will do whatever it takes to survive and they'll give in. They'll go silent. They'll detach. They'll disconnect. They'll do all kinds of things to to manage in that environment when they're not getting their needs met or they're getting abused. Sometimes for those who have lived that life and had those experiences, that chemistry may be the one you were talking about where it's just unfortunately all too familiar. And they end up in relationships with people who you know they're trying to navigate, again, the same kind of challenges and finding themselves giving in, giving up, surrendering, submitting all too easily. I think the real if you're in a relationship that's difficult, if you want to discern whether this is some kind of a trauma bond with your partner, and it does often occur with people who are narcissistic types because they are such a commanding presence. Hmm. um, The way to do that best is not necessarily to look at the narcissist's behavior. It's to look at how you're responding,
2: Hmm.
1: but check yourself. I think the best, and it's not a blame of the victim in any way. It's just check yourself carefully to see Am I giving up my opinions? Mm-hmm. Have I gi- given up my rights? Have I stopped using my voice? Have I lost my own self advocacy? Am I no longer assertive? Am I just agreeing? Am I doing things that actually feel uncomfortable to me and they're not in sync with who I am? Have I lost my sense of who I am? Am I constantly doubling back and rechecking myself? So, if you're answering yes to these questions, There's a good chance that you're very activated in this relationship and you're doing things now to try to win the favor of this person who has manipulated you to believe that this is the only way that they're going to either stay or be faithful or love you. And that's the bond.
0: Yes. Well, and there's another piece that I want to point out that I I was thinking about my old self in this relationship Mm. that was so toxic um, for me was defending the person. So mm, I feel mm. like one thing I've had to really work on myself, I have such deep connections with my girlfriends and part of the depth comes from the honesty, the vulnerability. When they ask me how things are going, I'm giving them a very real answer. And sometimes I violate the privacy of my partner. If I share how things are going for me as it relates to my partner, because it's like, so I've been having to learn how to one, protect my relationship. And also be vulnerable and honest about where, where I'm at, what's going on with me. Um, I think sometimes with narcissists, we make excuses for them. We lie about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. I guess I want to just talk a little bit and get your thoughts on this dynamic of how do we know when we're just respecting our partner and we are defending them because people have their own and, pro- projections and shit that they see that might not be real for you. Versus you're lying and that is what's coming out of you is trying to hide your narcissistic partner or friend
1: for what they truly are doing to you. That's an excellent, excellent observation, Ashley. And and again, another really important question because doing that means that you are compromising opportunities for support, for resources, for comfort for engagement, for, for so many things that, that come with a, with a lovely friendship. Um, and the best way to check yourself on that is to ask the question, am I feeling shame around the truth? Mm -hmm. Am I feeling embarrassed because look, I chose this partner. Am I so unsure of me right now? Because I've been taught by my partner that I can't count on myself, you know, that I'm crazy that I'm the narcissist, right? That I'm the one who's too self-absorbed, that I'm the one who has control issues, that I'm OCD and too perfectionistic, that, you know, I'm the one who doesn't take care of myself enough. And that's why, you know, I've lost my sex appeal or my attractiveness, right? So if you're not sharing truths with friends because you're carrying this boatload of shame and uncertainty, that might be a sign. You're not, Necessarily protecting your partner, you're protecting yourself because it's so painful, and you've you've bonded with this "quote unquote" truth yeah. that's been fed to you through the narcissistic relationship. Well, and
0: let's talk about that bond because there's so much more to a trauma bond than just a description, right? It's a it's a body high. Your chemicals and your body are addicted in the same way an addict wants sugar. You know, a sugar addict like me used I used to be still have little moments of snack incidents, but. Um, you know, like a cocaine <laughs> addict, it's like um, you know, you want that high. Your body, the pain of the lows are, are offset by the connection and vulnerability and breakthrough that happens in those high connected moments. And I think that is the trauma bond. It's that cyclical mm. pain that your body gets used to in the same way that I have friends who they had a, a father who beat them. Um, And they would pick a man who beats them. It's like, oh, your body just knows that chemical response. Like, it's so comfortable for you. And they've had to work so hard and it's so painful for them. Um, Do you have any snapshot on what is happening in the human psyche um, in their chemicals? And it's okay if you don't. I just was curious to ask you um, to help kind of get people to understand that this is not just a personal choice. It's a scientific model that is happening inside of you.
1: That's absolutely correct. I mean, I think traumatologists would tell you that trauma isn't just, its is not a thought. It's not just a memory that comes out of, you know, your prefrontal cortex or your, even the midsection of your brain. It's connected to your nervous system. It happens in your muscle tissue. It's flowing through your bloodstream. Trauma lives in your body.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you are literally remembering not explicitly it's more implicit than that you don't even know you're remembering but you if you pay attention you can take signals from your body that will show you exactly what you just described we used to call this years ago when i worked in domestic violence we'd call it this honeymoon phase right mm-hmm. there was the, the cycle of violence where you know the perpetrator is abusive there's all this abuse there's this horrendous distress that happens in the body the body is in a state of chaos which could be everything from heart palpitations to elevated blood pressure, skin temperature, headaches, um, exhaustion, nausea, anything in that zone because it's it's a horrifying time. It can even be moments of just numbness out of mm-hmm. fright where one goes numb from the shock value of being in the abusive cycle to a slow movement where you know the perpetrator now becomes, quote-unquote, I'm going to put this in quotes, remorseful Um, because it's usually a temporary thing. And there's this honeymoon phase and the body is suddenly like doing little flips again, little cartwheels, and there's a happiness and there's a joy and the lightness and even um, a sense of empowerment on the victim's part because they figured out, or at least it seems, they figured out how to turn this into something better. You know, I made his favorite meal. You know, I put on sexy lingerie. And he came around, and now you're doing these little flips because it's lighter, it's brighter, it's a happy moment, we're reunited, and it feels so good. And then all of a sudden, boom, the cascade begins again. And it's just a matter of time. You step out of line, you sigh, you look the other way, you have a disagreement, you express a disappointment, and everything is coming apart again. And the body is responding, and it becomes kind of a, almost a chore- choreography of, of yeah. sorts. It has an automaticity of its own. I love that. I've never heard the
0: word automaticity, and I love that. I also, um, I don't know when I when I think about these relationships and this dependency, I'm imagining that the signs are there the whole time, but it's hard for us to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know there's you know just as many men and, and women. Is is there actually a gender skew on narcissism, or is there as many women narcissists as? as People who identify as men, narcissists,
1: I think there I think there's probably some equal parts there, yeah. but I the research would say that seventy five percent I mean, this I don't know that that's been updated. That's kind of an old statistic that seventy five percent tend to be men, and that was based largely on you know socialization and performance and achievement and competition being more of a male issue. We know that's not true anymore, we also know that probably wasn't always true anyway. I think there are plenty of divas out there that can give their male counterparts a good run. But I also think there's this thing called overt narcissism, covert narcissism. And so you will find a lot of women on the covert side of this. And that means they are what I call the super sufferers. Their suffering is bigger, greater, better, more extraordinary than anybody's suffering out there. They've had the worst day, worse than you could ever imagine, than you've ever known. And no one gets them. And it becomes almost an identity of sorts. You know, this virtuous victim, this super sufferer. And I'm not making fun of them because they are suffering. But this is an identity for them. This is the way they get approval versus the more grandiose type who wants to tell you all about, you know, their very expensive acquisitions and their latest achievement. So it's a different form but it also can be very damaging in a relationship.
0: I I also, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about mental health disorders, personality disorders. Mm -hmm. And when you're picking a life partner, when you're picking friendships, I think that when someone is with a narcissist romantically specifically, or even a dear, dear friend, or even a parent, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it sometimes can feel like when they come around and you have those vulnerable moments, like they've healed, like this is changing we're turning a corner. Maybe they're even getting treatment, right? Maybe it's not narcissism. Maybe it's something, a a different mental health matter or personality matter, Mm -hmm. such as bipolar or borderline. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have so much compassion for people who have this because it's such a painful um, thing to face. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I I was in a relationship with uh, a man. Well, we were in a relationship we just dated, but Um, I love this guy so much. He's such an amazing soul. And because I studied psych, I was like, hey, I think you should get checked out for bipolar. I feel like you're having some manic episodes. And I hate to tell you this, but I just think you might need to get checked. And he just thought he had ADHD. He gets checked. It's bipolar. Now I'm deciding, like, can we spend our lives together? Because the way that the bipolar shows up is quite intense.
3: Mm -hmm. And
0: um, I love this person. But there was a part of me in the relationship that was like, if he gets help, if he gets medication or whatever he needs to do, we've turned a corner. Um, but the person needs to be fully committed to their healing, right? Like if they're not, yes. you're dancing with it for your whole life. And even if they are, sometimes, unfortunately, these pains and challenges will arise again, whether it's clinical yes. depression, any of these things we all face. Yes. Um. So I think with narcissism, it's like tempting to think like, oh, we've turned a corner. Um. But it's like, well, these things resurface. And when they do, you're dancing with them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not to shame anyone who faces these things, because I have very close people to me that I love that face these things. But yeah. it's also just something to understand in those deeper connected moments,
1: mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, the narcissists that I, I've worked with lots of narcissistic people in treatment, and as you just said, some of them will make some remarkable truly remarkable changes. It's a long journey. This is not a quick fix. This is not 20 sessions or less. This could be years in therapy. So it's a long sit. And again, you have to have a sturdy spine as a therapist. You have to be very real. You have to be ready to confront. You have to be ready to learn and really get them to reconnect with their vulnerability. And to do, to do the kind of healing that's going to make a sustainable difference. And that's really the key thing. What is going to be... That doesn't mean that they never show up in a narcissistic way again. I mean, we are humans. We don't change completely. We have memories and memory. We're all living at the mercy of our memory, whether we like it or not. So we're not going to change completely. But we can create like new pathways, right? The brain's pretty malleable. So, you know, the goal is really to be triggered less, to have less intensity and quicker recovery, right? I think that's a success in treatment. So a narcissist, what does that look like? It means they are less apt to be constantly feeling the sense of criticism because they're so hypersensitive to criticism. That's another trait that should be on the list. They are hypersensitive to criticism. So they're feeling that trigger less, therefore they're less defensive. There's less intensity. There's less having to command the ship There's less having to always be in charge, always have the lights on, always be the master of the universe. And even when they are triggered, they're able to recover more quickly. It would take a little flagging or a little recognition of something in their own body, something they've just said that might kind of haul them back into their healthy adult stance. That's the goal. And it's a hard, hard bunch of work to get there. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Not impossible, but sadly doesn't happen most of the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, another thing I want to talk about with people who are listening, thinking, well, shoot, you know, my mom is a narcissist and mm-hmm. she's my mom. How do you deal with them? I hate saying deal with, cause it feels so shameful. How do you navigate them? I guess it's more, mm-hmm. how do you confront them? How do you communicate with them? How do you set boundaries with them? Especially if they're a person in your life
1: that you kind of need to keep around. Yeah. And, and I think this is my favorite question, Ashley, actually, because I think there are some good navigational tools with family members, partners, friends, colleagues, bosses, a little trickier with bosses when your job is, you know, at stake, but there are ways of navigating. And I think that when you apply, so everybody, you know, like hold your breath for a second. I'm going to say the word empathy. And we're going to clarify what that means because I get accused all the time of being oh, Wendy doesn't really know narcissism that she's talking about using empathy. Empathy is not sympathy. Empathy is not compassion. Empathy means I get it. I understand. I know you doesn't mean I agree with you. Doesn't mean I endorse this. Doesn't mean I support this. It means I get it. So in other words, mom, look, I know how important it is to you to have things kind of in a certain way. And you've got a really good sense of taste when it comes to decorating and organizing. And, and frankly, I appreciate that. But, but this is my home. And in as much as I appreciate your efforts, I really want to kind of do things my way now. That's really important to me. And so, you know, I know that that might be offensive to you. There's the empathy. I know, right? But uh, that's not my intention, not to offend you, just to sort of set the record straight that this is my home, right? And I need you to be able to respect that. So empathy, confrontation, empathic confrontation. And when you use empathy, you mitigate this thing called shame, which lives at the heart of narcissism. It's very toxic for them. It's unbearable almost, which is why you always get interrupted. You get pushback, you get defensiveness, you get attacked, you get ignored, you get the door slammed in your face because they feel this toxic shame, this unbearable sense of being criticized or judged or manipulated or used. And so empathy can cut that short because you're saying, look, I know you didn't mean to be mean. I know you didn't mean to be mean. I know you didn't mean to be hurtful, but I gotta tell you, like, wow, that was pretty hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: And what do you do when they argue with you? Because there's a lot of defensiveness that happens, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, in the gaslighting, like that's not true. And this isn't true. And why are you doing this? And it turns you into the person that should be apologizing sometimes when when you don't want to and when you don't have a reason to. So how do they do you, I know for me when I worked at the Pentagon, I don't know if I mentioned you guys to work in national security, which is very random compared to this right now. but I remember reading that about it. (laughs) Really? Yes. Yeah. Um, One of the most important things I would advise people who worked on my team, I had an uh, assistant, is the power of being a broken record. Mm -hmm. So it's like I would just be a broken record. It was just a work strategy for me, like Mm -hmm. just repeating yourself, and then they get bored. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. Do you have any tips for how to navigate someone who's interjecting, fighting, and turning this boundary-setting
1: moment into a – a fight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what I call changing the dance, right? Change the dysfunctional dance. And that means sometimes saying less is so much more. And sometimes it's just kind of a, a raised eyebrow going like, really? <laughs> yeah, really? You can do that now? Sometimes it's just stating very clearly from your own, you know, inner advocate. So you've got to take that breath Take that pause. You can even say to the narcissistic person on the other other side, I'm going to take a second here. You breathe. You exhale. You're kind of restoring yourself, right? It's easy to go to anger. It's easy to go to I'm sorry and giving in. It's tempting because it feels like, oh, this will just stop the chaos. But you want to change the dance. You want to reclaim your voice. You want to recapture your rights. And so better to just take that moment, get your little vulnerable self out of the way for a second. Remember that you are an adult with rights and you don't have to be angry. Anger is so exhausting. You have nothing to defend. So tell yourself this, I have nothing to defend. I have nothing to apologize for, unless you do. Most cases you don't. And then you can say, I'm not doing this right now. I'm not going to do this right now because you know what? We're going to the dark side. And I'm I'm tired of going to the dark side. So I'm going to step away. Clearly, this is important to you because I can see the intensity. So if you want to come back to it, I'm happy to, but not like this.
2: Mm, that's and so- then you
1: step away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah it's, it's uncomfortable. I
0: think a lot of navigating narcissism is around self-soothing, right? Like why don't people set boundaries because it feels uncomfortable to set them, right? Yeah. And so yeah. an inability to set a boundary is an inability to self-soothe in a lot of ways. It's an inability yeah. to sit in that really uncomfortable feeling of like not being liked, not being appro- whatever. And we right. these moments where we can like ourselves for someone someone else's approval that isn't going to really care, you know, potentially later. Um, Yeah, that's
1: beautifully stated, actually. And it's true. It's a confrontation. The problem with confrontation isn't so much what the narcissist is going to do. We can predict very often how they're going to react. Even if you say it eloquently, we know how they're going to react. The problem is we can't tolerate how it's going to make us feel. Yeah. So when you can build tolerance around their response, You can start training yourself to kind of hear it more as white noise and know that that white noise signal means I'm checking out now, right? Like not doing this now. We're going to the dark side. It's time to stop. Oh, what? Now you're in control. Now you're in charge of the conversation. You say, no, I'm just in charge of my own decision making. And right now I'm not willing to do this. In fact, in the spirit of protecting our relationship, I'm going to step away. Oh, aren't you something? Thank you. Step away. Step away. (laughs) I love that vibe
0: from you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that version of Wendy. Thank you. Um, Okay, so a question that I think really will come up, like, let's say somebody's listening to this. They're like, yeah, I'm I'm around a narcissist, whether it's a partner, a family member, friend. Mm. Um, They're starting to recognize it. You know, I hope that they read your book. Those of you who are curious, it's called Disarming the Narcissist. You know, and I also know that there's, you know, a lot of infidelity amongst narcissists. Mm -hmm. Can you explain? Mm -hmm. I have a two part question. One is, you know, why is that the case? And the second part is how do you ever trust yourself again after you (sighs) choose this? Because you chose it. And I remember a therapist telling me when I got out with that guy for eight months who was so charming and toxic for me. Mm -hmm. She was like, first you're crying over losing him, but believe me, in a few months you'll be crying at yourself for letting him into your life. And she was so true. Like a few months later, I was like, oh my god, I literally hate myself for letting this happen to me. And then I forgave myself, moved on, and I've had great partners ever since. Good but that stuck with me. And I also remember this very distinct moment. I went to the doctor, and she was like, oh, you've lost weight. And I said, yeah, I was in a relationship with a narcissist, and got out, she took off her glasses and she, she validated me. She said, wow, I am so proud of you for getting out of that. Those are very hard to get out of.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: something about her acknowledgement really like started crying in the doctor's office. Like, thank you for mm-hmm. seeing me, like seeing how hard that is. Cause it's a chemical bond. It's hard to stop, you know, smoking cigarettes. It's like your, your chemicals
1: like it. So exactly. And that is one of the reasons that makes it very hard. There's also those who are, you know, in relationships with narcissists who have children and leaving the narcissist means you're probably going to be forfeiting 50% of your time with your children to the narcissist who is not protective, who is not interested, who does not play by the rules where your kids may be in danger. And you know what? System doesn't always support you and protect you. So we have to be really careful not to judge those who are not ready to leave yet because they have real dilemmas maybe financial it may be children it may be health matters so we have to be careful to support those who may still need to stay and try to do what i call the grand experiment of being healthy in these kind of unhealthy places and caring for themselves the question you asked me so many good questions i always do that one little piece oh just like my my head is is like blowing up with um responses but let's first say infidelity narcissists, I'm going to try to answer them all together. The narcissist is in many ways like a toddler. Okay. So you think about a toddler, they get a shiny little object in front of them. Ooh, you know, excited. It's nice. They want to protect it. It's all mine. They want to play with it. They want to covet it. They hide it. They put it in little places. And then, you know what, three days later, it's kicked to the curb. Where's the new toy? Where's the new toy? They have impulse control problems. They don't tolerate frustration easily. These are all developmental imperatives for a toddler. It's okay. Toddlers are supposed to do that. The narcissist not so much, but they do. They're very toddler-like. And because they don't tolerate frustration, they don't tolerate their own vulnerability, they're in so much pain, many of them deep down at the core, so much insecurity, so much shame, that getting all of this attention from... Maybe a sex worker, maybe porn where you can superimpose yourself on the image and pretend you're the studly one. Uh, Maybe just an affair, you know, where there's no strings attached. It's all about the rush. Talk about chemical. It's all about the rush. It's all about the I can be anything I want to be. I can have this at my convenience. I don't have to worry about pleasing somebody else. Because I'm paying for this, or I'm looking at this on the screen, or this is just kind of maybe a one-shot fling. So it's very tempting. They have a strong self-stimulating mode in their makeup, and it's a way of avoiding and distracting. It's not an excuse, but I do think it's an important explanation. And I always say to listeners, educate yourselves as much as you can, because the more you understand this very complicated personality, the more you liberate yourself from that kind of self-doubt, self-questioning, self-blame that can come up. Learn all you can, because then it just makes sense.
2: Mm.
1: And it's not so tedious. I think there's the, what you mentioned before about, you know, in hindsight, you look back and one of the beauties, one of the, the kind of the beauty and the beast of reflection is that when we reflect, we can say, oh, yay me, you know, like I'm finally in a better place. But one of the beasts of reflection is that it can lead to regret. Why did it take me so long? What's wrong with me? How did I end up there? Why would I choose somebody like this? What is my problem? And then comes the fear. How am I going to trust myself to go out there in the world again and not repeat this pattern? I don't trust me, becomes the battle cry. And it's a lot of really learning. Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier of putting your eyes on yourself. Pay attention, not just to the person sitting across from you on that date. Pay attention to the way you're showing up. Am I giving in too easily? Am I just nodding along to things that I absolutely don't agree with? They might even be non-negotiables for me. Have I just withheld information because I feel ashamed? Is this person asking me questions and actually listening to the answers? Or is it all about them?
2: Mm.
1: All right. So watch yourself. Are they constantly interrupting me that I can't even finish a complete sentence? And am I saying anything about that or am I just tolerating it? Mm. So watch yourself. You can become a very good scrutinizer Mm. of what's going on out there. And it may take, you know, one, two, five times before you really see it come to life because, you know, narcissists, they can hide in plain sight.
0: (laughs) Right. And then also, you know, what comes to mind for me, I had a really good friend. She had an incredible relationship. Everybody was like, oh, my God, you guys are so cute. Comes to find out he's like lying about his mom have cancer, having cancer to her. He cheated on her three months ago and impregnated the girl. And then he's lying to that girl about the mom having cancer as an excuse to see the other one. And he's using the cancer appointments allegedly as a way to hang out with both of them. And then he gets found out and he's continuing to lie. I read somewhere that one out of 25 people are sociopaths in America um do you have any updated statistics on like how many people in this country are narcissists um cuz i think it i don't know it just might help people realize like this is way more common than we probably know
1: I don't know the updated statistic to answer that question, but I do know that I think there's a greater sense of awareness, which is why it's out there. I do think there's also a lot of myths about what it is and what it isn't. And sometimes people are talking about sociopaths, not narcissists. Um, And again, if we can think about it along a spectrum, I mean, it's helpful to be educated about narcissism, but it's also important not to jump to conclusions that what you're seeing is narcissism. Just recognize that there may be traits of narcissism in your partner. That doesn't mean run for your life. It might be something that can actually be modified, fixed, adapted. If you have someone who has a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, it, it's probably going to be a lot harder to get that kind of sustainable change um, without help. I mean, it's definitely with, without help. It's it's a no-go. it mean, mm. have got to have professional help if that's the case. But I do think that there's just a greater awareness of this now, that it's out there. And I think we need to take a moment, catch your breath, do your homework, and look at yourself and recognize, how have I shifted? I'm so different in this relationship than I am when I'm with my friends, than I am when I'm at work with my colleagues. I really suddenly become very different. I get, there's something getting triggered in me, and that might be meaningful, Mm-hmm. to get a better assessment of the person you're actually living with or dating or married to. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of the people I treat are women who are struggling with the effects of betrayal trauma mm-hmm. because they have been in relationships with narcissistic partners who ha- are, you know, serial cheaters, who have this hypersexual dimension who are living other lives, uh, like totally other lives. And the problem with betrayal trauma, unlike other trauma, is that you're living with the perpetrator. You're living with the person who has actually yeah. created the trauma, and Here's so a
0: mind fuck for you. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so it's 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 very difficult. Well, this has just been. So amazing. Um, Is there anything I haven't asked you or anything interesting about narcissists you want to share before we go? Obviously, everyone can pick up your book, which I hope they do. Um, And if not, just your information where everyone can find you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I would just say that, you know, be nice to yourself. Being with a narcissist can cause us to become so unkind to ourselves where that inner critic in our brain can take over and start pounding us, making demands. And evaluations and assessments of us that are so unkind. And um it's easy to fall under the spell. You know, the brightest, smartest, most amazing people have fallen under the spell and been captured by narcissists. So don't think yourself stupid or you're not intelligent enough, you're not emotionally sensitive enough, or because you fell under the spell of a narcissist. They are very clever. They're mm-hmm. very good at getting what they want. So be kind to yourself.
0: Mm, thank you so much for coming on the show i i really love this topic even though it's twisted to say i love talking about yeah. narcissists i just think they're everywhere and it's really useful um so I'm sending light to those of you who maybe have listened and thought to themselves yourself like wow i might be with a narcissist i encourage you to keep reading um reading for me was very healing after my narcissistic relationship so um thanks again wendy
1: thank you ashley thanks so much been a pleasure.